I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as, as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Welcome to episode 110 of the Talking Golf History Podcast, and the third and final episode of the rise and demise of the Ben Hogan Golf Company. We are joined once again by John Barba of My Golf Spy to discuss how this iconic brand came to an end and maybe just maybe, how it might just live on. A story that I've been waiting to tell for years finally comes to its conclusion. And now, the final episode of The Rise and Demise of the Ben Hogan Golf Company. John, thanks for coming back to Talking Golf History. I am so happy to do this third part with you now because everything's changed since we were together last. Yeah, the closing act or maybe a new beginning. There's so much to get into. I mean, thank goodness we only recorded two hours last time. If we had done the whole thing, we'd have to do a fourth episode that would last 10 minutes. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's, it's, I don't, Scott White once told me that uh, the Hogan Company has got off the, got up off the mat more times than Rocky Balboa. And it just did it again. It's a tidal wave of hopes and dreams and losses, right? It is, um, it's hard to just imagine the ups and downs of the people associated with the company over time, too, to be quite frank. Everyone I've spoken with who has worked, who worked for the Hogan Company prior to Mr. Hogan's death and even afterwards, um, they, they talk about that time almost reverential, rever, reverentially. There we go. Um, like it was a special unique brief shining moment in their careers it's it's not like i had this job then i went to this company then i went to this company it was like i worked for ben hogan it was it's a special uh precious time in their lives and and that's consistent with everyone i've spoken with you know before we dive in maybe dive in a little bit to my golf spy that's you know you work for my golf spy what do they Mm -hmm. do how are they different than everybody else because i i I love the company i love what you guys do and you pretty much do it kind of, I don't know about free is a fair word, but it sure feels like it. You don't pay to read about the club reviews that you guys do. It's amazing. Right. We dive into everything golf related, golf, uh, specifically golf equipment, but the game of golf uh, as well as, you know, the, the pro tours, et cetera. We kind of view ourselves in one respect, not, I, I guess you could say consumer reports-ish uh, take a consumer reports type approach to golf equipment with our our testing, our most wanted testing, our best of testing, where we will get all of the current year equipment of all the different categories and run them through pretty exhaustive tests, like fifteen to twenty thousand shots with several different types of golfers uh, to to test these things, and it's all data driven. And what and, and then we look at it. Here's what the data says which is the best performing overall club in these different categories. And we have different way different the criteria differently for different categories. Um, but you know, you can look at it and find out, okay, this tested really well. This one kind of at the bottom of the heap. 
weed through some of that and find out what's the right club for you and gives you, it may, you may walk away with a list of three clubs or four clubs that you can go out and then test and get fit for and see which one of those, those three or four you like the best. Kind of help you along your search and upgrading your equipment. Uh, our owner, Adam Beach, has said many times he doesn't want golfers spending a dime on equipment unless it is it will demonstrably help their game, help their help improve their game. And that's um, that's something we all we all kind of take to heart when we write about any anybody's golf equipment, pros, cons, try to look at it as 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 non-biased and as unbiased as we can. Everybody has personal biases, obviously, but we try to look at it as 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 clearly and as in an attached manner as possible. And um you know, hear the facts basically, and uh, help help people make decisions. We get into other things like golf travel. Uh, you know, we we, we do uh, my golf spy experiences. Go to different uh, resorts or different destinations and kind of report back to people. Say, is this worth it? Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Uh, you know, this is what you can spend money on. This might be a little expensive. That sort of thing. Uh, History's mysteries, which is how we got hooked up, is uh, just look back on historic things. Um, but, uh, all kinds of anything related to golf, whether it's stuff we find on Amazon, we tried it. We, we will get like training aids and things like that or different, different things. And we'll try them and we'll write about them and say, you know, this is worth, this is worth a look. Eh, you can probably pass this by. So if, if, if the, the brand new hammer driver comes out, my golf spy <laughs> is going to try it. Oh yeah, we'll be we'll be all over that. Yeah, we'll be all over that. Twenty yards, right? I just, God, I mean, I give them a plus for the commercial or the infomercial. I'll give them that. No, it's fascinating though. I mean, if and and I believe it is just mygolfspy.com, right? The website. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend if you love golf, you have to go to the website. I mean, you can you will spend hours. I mean, the history's mysteries. That's how we started talking about the rise and demise of these companies, but. You ask yourself, is the ball I'm playing the right golf ball for me? I, mm-hmm. Or is the driver I have, does it work for me? I think it's great to get an independent view of how these clubs and balls and equipment and golf bags hold up You know, by people who are actually going out and testing them versus saying, well, I'll give this a try. Right. Yeah. It's it's a it's a great starting point, I would say, for yeah. anybody who is looking to buy anything. Laser rangefinders, it's GPS. They're yeah. all in there. And it's all data driven, uh, you know, and for clubs and balls, break them down, drivers especially, but, uh, but also balls, break them down by swing speed and performance. So you can kind of match it as closely to your game as possible and just kind of get you pointed in the right direction. You know, this this ball might be right for me, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'll just tell you, it's, a, it's an unbelievable service that you guys provide. I just wanted to give you a, a kudos here. And by the way, folks, I'm not getting paid to say this. I brought it up. <laughs> I just think I, it's one of the great websites in golf for me to learn more about the game and the equipment and things like that. And to have an independent resource outside of watching a commercial on the golf channel and saying, Oh, I'm going to add 10 yards. I can actually look at it and say, here's what was tested. And by the way, it probably doesn't mean it's perfect for you, but like I said, it's a great starting point. That's how I see it. Get you pointed in the right direction, weed through a lot of the BS and get to the heart of the matter and, and find out, what, again, what is right for Connor, what's right for John, what's right for any of your listeners. I mean, what I'd really like to be good for me is a blade all the time. <laughs> Wish I was good enough to back it up, oh, but yeah. that's what I'd love it to be. 
I've got a set of I got a set of blades that we'll probably talk about in a little bit, sitting about five feet to the right of me, and they just sit right there because they they know their place. <laughs> Isn't that the? I mean, it's always the case, right? Yeah. Well, we're gonna dive into the third iteration of the rise and demise, and maybe the rise of the Ben Hogan Golf Company. I've lost track. I'm not gonna lie. I have I've lost <laughs> track of how many times the company is trading hands, and I'm gonna try to do this right. So we have Hogan. Uh, the original Ben Hogan company with Leonard and Simmons. Right. They get bought out by a group that includes the manager for the New York Yankees and yep, yep. Francis uh, Wiemet's caddy. Yeah, Bob Hope, Ben Crosby. <laughs> Coleman, right? I mean, yeah, like, there's a yep. great group of people in there. They sell to AMF, the bowling company. I'm just going to call them the bowling company. I know they're a bigger company, but it's easier and more fun to yep. say. Yep. Then Irv the Liquidator comes in. Right, Irv the Liquidator buys AMF Lock, Stock, and Five Iron, and uh, yeah, it's over. Yep. Then we go to Cosmo World. Yep. And I believe we ended the last episode on the cusp of a Spalding acquisition. Right. Cosmo World wound up selling Hogan to uh, oh, Bill right. Goodwin. I missed Virginia. one. See. Right. Who who wound up actually buying Brun? Uh, no, what he Brun, was a, he he bought the AMF Bowling Division from Irv the Liquidator for $225 million several years earlier. So he had the bowling company. So he kind of reunited Hogan with the bowling company. And Goodwin's the man who shut down the Fort Worth operation, basically fired Ben Hogan and moved everything to Richmond. And that started a pretty rapid decline. And he lost about $100 million with the Hogan brand in about five years. He wound up getting rid of it and selling it to uh, selling it to Spalding at the end of 1997. So the good news is it seems at least with Spalding, the Ben Hogan golf company was back in the hands of a quote unquote, you know, golf manufacturer, right? Right. How does that transition to Spalding go? Actually, it goes quite well. Um, Spalding had its own issues, which we've discussed in, in previous podcasts, but the transition goes very well. Uh, they buy it in 97 and they, they take their time. They don't just jump in, you know, they're selling the existing product that they had. They don't just throw out a top flight club with a, with Hogan's name on it. Uh, Jeff Sheets was the director of R&D, a classic, uh, 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 very famous uh, club designer. He was the director of R&D for Spalding at the time, and he took this pretty seriously. He had worked with Hogan staffers years before, um, had great respect for the Hogan company. He knew the quality of Hogan clubs back in the heyday. So he went at this with a with a tremendous amount of respect, and he he persuaded the marketing division of Hogan that the first product that they come out with should be a blade, a classic player's forged blade. They you know the marketing department said no, we should come out with something cavity back game improvement because we'll sell a lot more of them, but but she said no 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 this is different this is Hogan okay this isn't just some other brand this is Hogan the first product has to be a blade we'll go this other direction eventually. And he actually, the first one he designed was a cavity back product just to show as a prototype. But he said, no, the first one we got to come out with is a classic blade and we can't get this wrong. And by golly, he didn't. They, they had a grand slam home run with the 1999 Apex blade, classic blade. And that's the one I have over to my, to my right by, by about five feet. And uh, it's a collectible now. I mean, people just, just drool over these things. Absolutely gorgeous blade on blade design. Um, in our actually, if you go to my golf spy and just go to the search function and, and uh, search for Jeff Sheets, you'll find an article he wrote in 2009 about the process that he went through 
to design this blade is fascinating. He got Lanny Watkins involved. He got all the old Hogan staffers involved. Uh, he went with the blade on blade design, lowered the center, center of gravity based on the 88 design of the apex. I mean, he really gets very involved in the technical aspect of this. Uh, he wound up going back to Fort Worth to Tom Stites' company. Tom Stites was also an old Hogan guy uh, who, when when Hogan left, he started his own company, uh, design and build company in Fort Worth. Uh, he had Mike Taylor, another old ex-Hogan guy. These guys all got together and actually wound up being the, the, the nexus of, of uh, Nike's uh, bl- forged blade company in, the, in, in what was the, uh, the oven down in Fort Worth. But they... Uh, they all worked together to create a masterpiece. The 99 Apex Blade was a masterpiece. And they introduced it at the 99 uh, PGA show, uh, along with uh, some some new Hogan balls, some new Hogan forged wedges. And this was a big whoop-de-doo for, for, uh, for Spalding. Uh, they were going to make Hogan their premium brand. And then Top Flight would become the investment cast brand. So Hogan would un- ultimately be sold in pro shops. The Forge brand be sold in pro shops. And then the top flight brand, investment cast brand, would be sold in pro shops, but also at retail. It was a very sound decision, very sound plan. Unfortunately, Spalding had its own issues. Yeah. That's, in, that's, in, oh, man. I mean, it does sound like a great plan. And, and for the younger listeners, this is back when top flight was actually like on tour, right? Yeah. I mean, like they oh, made yeah, a tour yeah. ball. It's yep. not the top flight that you buy in Walmart, unfortunately, or exactly. fortunately, I should say. The top, the top flight in, in Chicopee, Mass, they were, they, it was them and a Kushnet were the two largest ball manufacturers on the planet. A good 80, 80% of the golf balls made in the world were made in the state of Massachusetts back then. So initially, it's a major success, the Ben Hogan brand at Spalding. Is that fair to say? I mean, it seems like there's a story here, it drives you crazy, that... Hogan sees the brand, sees success almost everywhere it goes until something happens. Yeah. It's never like, oh, this, you know, we bought this brand and it's terrible, you know, huge mistake outside of perhaps the previous owner who lost $5 million. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it has a tenacity and a, and a, it's like a zombie, right? It can't be killed. And right. we're going to find out it really can't be killed later on. But, yeah, you right. know, it just keeps coming back and keeps delivering. Well, Spalding, you know, they were planning on a big brand revival and they would alternately invest an awful lot of money. In 2001, they invested about $17 million into a, a, a an ad campaign for Hogan and Strata, the Strata Ball. Uh, that was very popular at the time, but you know, big a, a large emphasis was placed on on the Hogan brand, and they introduced a Hogan branded version of the Strata called the Hogan Apex Ball, which again, kind of legendary. That uh, uh, the, a lot of a lot of touring pros used it. Uh, the, the the irons were endo forged, so they were supremely high quality, and they kept moving forward. They were they, they actually were, were terrific. They nineteen in two thousand three. Now this is where it gets really interesting. In two thousand three. It's the 50th anniversary, right? Spalding, which was renowned, or Spalding at this point, they were top. No, they hadn't sold Spalding yet. They sold Spalding eventually in 2003. So Spalding slash Top Flight, they were legendary for their massive parties at the PGA show. I mean, one year I, I heard they had Huey Lewis in the news playing. I mean, these, these were over the top uh, you know, uh, parties for all their staffers. They had a big whoop-de-doo at, at – uh, um, at the PGA show and they unveiled 
the 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 2003 50th anniversary Apex Blades. They had uh, a, 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 the CFT uh, game improvement product. They had um, balls. They had apparel. They had watches. I mean, their 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 plans that they announced was to turn the Hogan Company within a few years into a 200 million dollar mega brand. And they used the word mega brand. That was their word. So they were they had huge plans. They had teamed up with Bob Bettinardi to make for Bettinardi to make Hogan branded Bettinardi putters. The baby Ben, Jim Furyk won won the U.S. Open in June of that year with the baby Ben. Um, so they, they they they've got tremendous product, tremendous impetus. Uh, everything's kind of looking up. Great big plans, but Spalding ownership is a mess. Yeah, how does it go wrong? I mean, you've got this master plan that seems like a successful route. You have tour pros behind you. You have a ball that's like one of the best-selling balls in golf. You have the Hogan brand, which clearly is capturing, um, you know, the best players, you know, minds. It's selling well. It's doing well. Everything, again, looks to be going great. What could go wrong? What goes wrong? Well, it's, it's, it's the Spalding Ownership Group, KKR and then Oak Tree. They paid KKR back in 96 paid uh, oh, close to a billion dollars for the Spalding Sports Enterprise. And we have a little bit of an overlap with the previous podcast, right? Exactly. We remember how that went if we go back there. They are they, they are massively in debt. Sales aren't supporting the massive debt. They wind up being early 2002-2003 kind of upside down. They owed more money on the to service the debt than the company was actually worth. So they're in. They're got all this these plans, and they're playing a shell game with every dollar that comes into the company. So in April of two thousand three, uh, ownership sells the Spalding Athletic brand to Russell Athletic for sixty five million dollars. This huge brand name Spalding gets sold, and then the golf company that remains is rebranded Top Flight. Hopefully, they figured this will this will streamline our business. We can get out from under the debt. Well, they can't. Jim Furyk wins the U.S. Open with a baby Ben Putter. He's on staff. He's playing the Strata ball. He wins the U.S. Open in June. Within weeks, not months, weeks, they file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They're done. How? Right? It's it's debt. It's you paid too, you paid too much. You didn't do your due diligence. You couldn't service the debt. So at that point, what is under Top Flight in 2003? What brands top, are we talking about? There's Top Flight and Hogan. Okay, which are the two main ones? I think Etonic was still part of that, but those were the those were the main the main brands. The in uh, they go into ba- into bankruptcy, and then a round of bidding takes place to to see who might want to acquire that. TaylorMade and Callaway were both going at it. Uh, Callaway winds up buying what's left of top, of Top Flight slash Hogan uh, in September of that year for like one hundred and seventy five million dollars. Callaway wanted the ball business. That's the th- that was the prize for them. They had been trying to get into the ball business for years and couldn't really do it. They wanted the Chicopee ball plant, and they, that's what they got. With it came Hogan. As an afterthought, really. Kind of an afterthought, yeah. I'd say kind of an afterthought. Um, but surprisingly, Callaway, I think, also does a pretty good job with Hogan. For the first few years, they do a pretty good job. Very underappreciated. They came out. They continued uh, coming out with uh, with with good forged irons, and I got a good story on that. I'll share with you in a second. But they also, you know, they were they were in this weird multi-brand 
position, right? Where we have the Callaway brand, which is the publicly traded stock, and then we also own the Ben Hogan Company. Where are the resources going to go? In terms of supporting the stock price, it's Callaway, Callaway, Callaway. And we are we're in we're firmly into the Big Bertha era, correct? Oh yeah, we're two thousand three, two thousand five. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, they're selling lack of a better word, distance, right? And yep. they're heavy in game improvement. Mm-hmm. And then you've got basically a brand of blades, you know, that are a pro shop sale as much as anything. Pro, pro shop, but it got it got Callaway into the forged game. Hmm. Oh, really? Got them into the forged game. Okay. Yeah, this, so there was some aid there. Right. So they sold it under the Hogan name for several years. I'd say they, the, the Hogan brand was actually active through 2008 under Callaway. And they came out with some really good clubs. Uh, the story was uh, I was at Pinehurst uh, and posted some pictures. Uh, this is a couple of years ago. I posted some pictures on Instagram and uh, Austin Rawlinson was there and he saw the, these pictures and said, yeah, I was just sitting in that chair about an hour ago. And I said, ah, come on down. I'd love to meet you. I'd never met the man. Uh, legendary club designer for Callaway. He was with Odyssey for years. He's now with uh, with Titleist in the putting division, putter division. Uh, but he came came to just to meet me. We, we were chatting at the driving range and he looked in my bag and I had the, the, the Hogan progressive set in the bag. Um, and he looked at him. He goes, oh yeah, I designed those. <laughs> Gotta love <laughs> that. Offhand, you know, I mean, now, did you know that before he said no, it? No. Wow. No, that's goes, pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I designed those. I said, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the FTX uh, progressives. So uh, they're cavity back through the seven iron and then blades through the, I think, seven, eight, seven, eight through, seven through wedge were, were, were blades. And um, I played them okay. It's <laughs> all right. So, yeah, what, what happens here then? So we have this acquisition by Callaway. They're kind of split, I guess you could say, in resources and direction. They bought Top Flight to get the golf ball factory and the golf ball technology. What happens? Hogan very quietly gets mothballed. It's deliberate. It takes a little bit of time. Um, But by 2008, you know, Callaway is now if anything forged is going to be under the Callaway name, not the Hogan name, because again, it's it's multi, multi-brand doesn't is not sustainable. I think for the for a long for a long period of time, if you're if you're a publicly traded company like that, because you've got to build your stock price. Ultimately, by two thousand eight, the Hogan the Hogan <coughs> excuse me the Hogan brand is basically mothballed. Okay, they said we you know Hogan's part of our portfolio, but we are firmly focused. Uh, on on the on the on the Callaway brand to build that brand. So by 2008, yeah, disappeared. So when you say mothball, it like literally disappeared. Like you yeah. couldn't buy it anywhere. You couldn't go to their website and see you know right. Ben Hogan here. Um, were there in 2008? You know, were there any Ben Hogan golf loyalists out there that were asking for this brand? Uh, oh or, sure, yeah. I, I think I, I, there always are, but if you can't, uh, you can't get it. You can't get it. You know, I mean, it was uh, golfers are are loyal until they need new clubs, and you can't get what you can't get, right? W- was there an announcement, like, yeah. or did it just? It literally just in two thousand seven. They have it in two thousand eight. There's yeah. this mysterious missing. Right. The, the emphasis on the brand kind of just slowly dropped from two thousand six to two thousand seven to two thousand eight. Just not. You just don't introduce new product. And then ultimately the product runs out. I mean, I, I, I remember like 2010, I was in a sporting goods store in Denver and I actually saw a box of BH5 or BH4 Hogan irons 
you know, for like 120 bucks. And they were investment cash because that's what, what they had left at that point. But it was just leftover stock, you know. And, and you go to like rockbottomgolf.com, you could buy leftover Hogan wedges, like the Riviera and the Carnoustie wedges. Those came out in 2003 as well under Spalding. Some of the best wedges ever. They were still around. They're still handfuls, you know. They were, they were bought at liquidation. You could buy them until they weren't, they weren't around anymore. So this is the first real death of the Ben Hogan golf company. Like we've had, you know, uh, ups and downs, there's been sales, but it's always been there. I right. mean, since the 1950s until effectively 2007, 2008, and it's all of a sudden it's gone. Like right. all the hopes and dreams that Ben Hogan had wished for in this brand disappear. What happens next? What does Callaway do? I mean, they still own a brand that has some value. I think clearly we've shown there's value there because people keep bringing it back to life. What happens? Well, they, they kind of sit on it along with the top flight brand. Cause the top flight brand had been kind of same kind of thing. It had eventually gone away. So they had the, those two brand names. And in 2012, they sell the top flight brand name to Dick sporting goods. And it becomes their store brand. Uh, and the Hogan brand was sold to the, the, uh, the clothing manufacturer, Perry Ellis. Yeah. That's a weird, weird sale to me. Right. Per- well, Perry, yeah, a little, little, little odd, but Perry Ellis, um, they were the license. They were, and still are the licensee for Callaway apparel. They make Callaway apparel. Um, so they purchased the brand. Their plan was to make Ben Hogan branded apparel, which they did, which you can buy at Walmart, uh, worldwide golf shops now. Uh, you know, you can, it, it's, it's, it's very modestly priced, but pretty good stuff. Um, they, when they purchased the brand, I'm sure they had, they weren't going to get into the equipment business themselves because then you're direct competition with Callaway, which makes no sense. Their partner. But yeah, right. But they were, they, I'm sure at that time had plans to license the name to somebody else because otherwise, you know, because it's, it still had some, had some value. Now it sat around for a couple of years and eventually, um, Perry Ellis teamed up with uh, a gentleman named Terry Kaler, um, uh, a fascinating guy in, in, in golf history. Terry Kaler started out in the uh, with with Reed Lockhart back in the eighties and nineties as a wedge designer. In the mid nineties, he actually worked for Hogan as a marketing guy under Bill Goodwin. So it all comes full circle. And again, he's another guy. Who says my time with the Hogan Company at that point was a very special time in his life. He, he loved the brand. He had started Eidolon Wedges which morphed into score wedges and score again, they, they had a cult following in the, I remember you know, them. Yeah. yeah. Are they still around? I don't even, you know, they're still like sharp in my mind. I remember them. Well, score, he turned that company into in 2015, the new Ben Hogan golf equipment company by licensing it from Perry Ellis. Correct. So Perry Ellis is still, no matter what you say, they're still involved. They are selling the, the license to make clubs. Right, right. So so Terry Kaler starts the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. He's a Texan, so he starts it in Fort Worth, like where it should be. And his goal is to resurrect this company in the image of, of, of Hogan, you know, to, to return it to where he believes it should be with great, great intentions and really good golf equipment. Like Jeff Sheets, he designs uh, a, a blade, a classic 
Hogan Blade to be the first product he comes out with, along with with wedges. So the first the first product that came out and was uh, we showed it, it was showed at the uh, 2015 PGA Show. Um, they had a they had a, a a huge area demo day right in the main entrance, and then a huge booth at the at the show to announce with authority that hey Hogan is back. Um, they uh, had the Fort Worth uh, it was Fort Worth 15 irons, which were the were, were the blades, and then. TK15, TK for Terry Kaler, wedges. Now, the wedges, Terry is known as the wedge guy online. He, he's on all the, a lot of different uh, forums, and he's a great wedge designer. He st- and to this day, he still is. What, what became a score, you, you asked earlier, he is now, uh, he re- two years ago, three years ago, he started Edison wedges, outstanding wedges. The, the TK15, fantastic, fantastic wedge. So Terry reopened this with huge, huge plans. But his original plan was to go like Hogan did originally in 53 to go through golf professionals only. He didn't want retail selling his clubs only through golf professionals in retrospect may have been a miscalculation. Yeah, Why? I mean, we're in the two thousands now, right? I mean, yeah, it's just a 2015. Yeah. There's a, well, 2015, there were probably still golf shops on every corner. It felt like now we can't seem to find any, but I mean, they right. were out there. He wanted to go through golf professionals and professional fitters, which there are plenty, uh, to 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 resurrect this brand in the image of the original Hogan Company, and uh, that was his that was his plan, that was his goal and in his dream, and he had the equipment to do it. Um, he they uh, leased out a sizable portion of the uh, old Fort Worth Star newspaper building. Uh, with plans to, cre- you know, they had really nice offices. They really did a lot of work there. They they had plans to create a uh, monorail conveyor belt type of manufacturing system with a first class fitting studio and all that. They had huge, huge plans uh, to go through with this. And they built this beautiful castle front of a company, but there was nothing yet to support it. So it was like, let's build this and then the sales will come. Well, the sales didn't come the way they thought they would, the way that people were hoping that they would. And that they introduced new products. They had the, the started with the Fort Worth 15 irons and the PTX irons, PTX irons, PTX Pro irons, uh, VKTR uh, hybrids, which were, again, all very, very good quality products, um, all tested pretty well with us. It just that that going through pros or professional fitters only really limited to them. So within a year, we started seeing them in retail. But again, 2015, as it is now, really today, still, 90% of the golf clubs sold are from one of five companies, right? You know, you got Callaway, TaylorMade, Ping, Titleist, and Cobra. Then the last 10%, you've got Mizuno, you've got PXG, you've got Srixon. There's not a lot left. And while the product was very good, Again, people look at that and go, well, why would I buy that? And the other thing, too, is he came out premium priced. So these products were priced higher than your Callaway and, and, and Taylor, lower than PXG, but higher than your mainstream. And you're effectively a startup company. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, the cost yeah. of a startup versus Callaway bringing out a brand new set of clubs. They already have the equipment. They have you know the ability to forge it. It's... You're not starting anything quite from scratch as you will with this brand new brand. Right. And you and you you run into this problem that we see all the time in the equipment game is why would I buy this when I've got this? You know, 
why would I buy this instead of, you know, what, what TaylorMade has or what Callaway has? And I know resale is going to be better with these. But but I always felt buying a club based on its potential resale value is like starting a divorce fund on your wedding night. It just doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. But that's, what, that's how people think. So, again, great plans. Uh, great plans. It just doesn't quite make it. The sales never came in in sufficient numbers to 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 support this and um basically what they bought is they bought a first class ticket you know on a maxed out credit card they just couldn't couldn't make ends meet this goes on through two through uh 2016 so they started in 2015 through by the end of 2016 we're not hearing a lot at my golf spy from from hogan just not hearing much first business day of 20 actually i'm sorry i take that back um in August of 2016, we find out that Terry Kaler retires. We get an announcement from Hogan that Terry is retiring. He's still going to be on the board of directors, but he's retiring, going back to his ranch in Texas. Uh, and Scott White was going to take over as the new CEO. After that, everything goes dark. We don't hear much. First business day uh, in January of 2017, we learn that the entire workforce at Hogan has been let go. I remember that day. Yeah. It was like the first business day of 2017. Um, the ho- the entire workforce has been laid off. I got on the phone with Scott and he said, he said, it's not a death now. It's a reboot. And, you know, we're, you know, being the cynical journalists that we are we're going, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can't, we, I don't know how we're going to paint this any other way. It doesn't look good. And it doesn't, and, and it doesn't look good at all for in the in the in, in the coming weeks either. I mean, you know, Scott's said we're getting out of this building, we're going to go downsize, we're going to right size, we're going to just hire on contract people enough people to build clubs enough to fill orders, um, but we're going to start with an empty building and decide what we need. Um, by February, the bankruptcy has been filed again. Another Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. They're done. They're out of business. So they file for bankruptcy. Um, when was that again? This was going to. This was by February. February. Wow. So like a month. About a month. Month later, after the yeah. reboot, right? A month later. So you know, at that point, it was just the slow sling, the slow singing and flower bringing, right? It was the let's just get ready for the funeral. Don't hear much. Then April comes along. All of a sudden, somebody calls me up. I said, "Do you see the Hogan website's back up?" I said, "What the hell are you talking about?" So I look it up, and the website's back up. And what they're doing is they're basically selling off what they they can't do it online because the the back end with all the filing credit cards and stuff, that's all been disabled on the website. But what they're saying is, here's the pricing for all of our our inventory. If you want to buy something, give us a call. So they're basically what we think is liquidating whatever they have left. And there were some amazing buys. Like the wedges were, that were, you know, 160, 170 bucks were now like 50 bucks. I got a staff, a $400 staff bag for 95 bucks, you know, and they were just, they were, they were liquidating. And what they were doing is they were selling their inventory direct to consumer, just basically trying to raise some cash. They had moved into Callaway's old tour building. Again, that connection again, they're back in Callaway's old tour building in Fort Worth. Um, and there's contracts to contract workers to, to build stuff to get it out the door. And that led to what happened next. Okay. By July of 2017, we learned that Hogan is back. It's official. 
fully functional website, everything. But it's back as one of the first, if not the first, premium direct-to-consumer companies. Scott said at the time that they're going to sell premium golf equipment direct to the consumer. We're not going to go through retail, so there's no retail markup. All right, we're going to make a fair profit, but you're going to get high quality premium golf equipment at a price lower than you would expect. So they're selling sets of forged irons for $599, $699, whereas they would be selling for over $1,100 through retail. Are they the same clubs that they had in January that they were essentially selling via phone call? Yep. Okay, same so stuff. there's it's not new technology. They're just saying, hey, we have this. Is it, we just have this inventory, we're moving it, or this is the new game plan this this is the new game plan because part of the out of the bankruptcy all right new ownership kind of took over and they saw what happened in april and they said hey wait a minute this that we might be onto something here uh xworks capital out of chicago was the new owner they had they were a creditor and basically they acquired the hogan brand for what they were owed all right they when, when hogan went bankrupt they said okay we owe we owe you this money here, here have the company basically and perry ellis also took an equity stake in the company as well so they were seemingly on much sounder financial footing at that point so they bought the brand name none of the debt but they were back in business and they were selling product fast forward to the end of that year we find that uh as a jj hardy J.J. Hardy became their first PGA Tour pro. Amazing, really. Since since the old days, since since the pre-Callaway days, uh, he signed signed an endorsement. I think we got an ownership thing, and uh, a couple of other guy, a couple of other tour pros signed on, and then they started working on and releasing new product. They up they updated all different types of products. They updated their uh, uh, they updated the Fort Fort Worth irons. They updated the hybrids. They updated uh, they brought out new PTX pros. They came out with something called the Hogan Edge. So how does it work for them? I mean, is this, it, it, is this an ultimate success story? I mean, what, what is the they're, – they're going direct to consumer. There is uh, a, a tremendous cost savings from the consumer yep. standpoint. Is this, you know, the new model of golf course, you know, golf equipment? It's, it's working. Yeah. It's working for them. They are, they are selling product. They're moving product. They're profitable. Okay, they're not threatening anybody <laughs> on that list we talked about earlier, but they're a, they're a, a going concern that's making money, that's profitable. They're selling stuff. They're investing in the company. They're coming out with new products. They they came out with metal woods. They came out with putters. All right, they had they had a full by by 2019. They had a full line of equipment, you know, uh, bags and everything. Um, and drivers, putters, wedges, the whole shoot match. They were, and they had game improvement. They had, uh, you know, players irons, they had blades, they had, they had, the, they had the works. So, um, JJ Henry, that was the name. I'm sorry. You got to go back to JJ. Um, so they keep updating nine, April of 2019, 2019 was actually a banner year cause they were coming out with a new product a month. Whether it's updated hybrids, updated irons, updated metalwoods, they were they were really clicking on all cylinders. 2020, they came out with a new set of blades called the Icon. All right, really good looking blades. They can't, they actually had them in diamond black metal as well as chrome. You know, diamond black metal. The the, the black finish is kind of impregnated. Oh, those are sweet the looking. Metal. They were beautiful. Oh, yeah, oh. and they wear beautifully. They don't. You know. Yeah, yeah they don't wear down. Look, 
Yeah. So they came out with all that. They had uh, the, the they came out with utility irons. I still play one because it's such a good it's such a good utility. Um, new wedges. Uh, they got uh, Ronnie McGraw from the old Hogan Company to design their new equalizer wedges. So they were really they were really cruising along. Then COVID comes. And that's an even bigger boon for them because yeah. golf's, can go to golf golf's going nuts. Yeah, it's golf's great. Golf's going nuts. People are all of a sudden warming up to the idea that they can buy golf equipment online. It's not so not such a foreign idea anymore. You know, guys, just, and, and they, they also developed a good demo program for like 20 bucks. They'd send you three clubs you, or a couple of clubs. You go play them uh, for two weeks. Then you send them back just to see if you like them, which to me is a far better demo than hitting a couple of shots into a net at a, at a, at a retail store. Off turf, right? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, like, everything, again, is going really good, right? Like, no one thought, like, I mean, you go to bankruptcy, how many companies come out of bankruptcy and survive? And here it looks like not only they're surviving to a certain extent, not to, like, a Callaway level, but they're starting to get to sense of thriving. They have mm-hmm. a tour player, Success. They found this new model to sell, you know, to sell to the public uh, outside of the traditional model. You know, it's dare I say it's almost like the Amazon version of golf. You know, <laughs> right. manufacturing and selling equipment. Everything's going great. Like so, nothing could go wrong. What goes seemingly, wrong? Seemingly, seemingly <laughs> what happens? Wrong. Seemingly, nothing could go wrong. Again, on our radar, they kind of go dark for a little bit. So disappointing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they kind of just kind of go dark for a little bit. And um, I remember it was July 25th of last year, July 25th of last year. I'm at, I'm at, I'm, I'm, I'm playing golf. My phone rings and Scott White and Scott says, I got to tell you something. We had, we had to close up and I went, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. You're a profitable business. Things are going well. What are you well. talking about? Yeah. We had to let everybody go. We closed up and I go, what, what happened? Why? says, well, XWorks Capital, their their parent company, was in a, a capital investment firm, and they specialized in high-risk, high-reward investments. That was their thing. Well, COVID did a number on them, and XWorks actually filed for bankruptcy in the spring, late winter, early spring of, of last year, of 2022. They filed for bankruptcy. So, a seasonal golf company like that, they kind of, they, you know, they make, they make, they make their hay in the spring and then they need to get some money back from ownership to, to, to get them through the rest of the year. Well, XWorks had no money. They weren't re you know, they had been in trouble for about a year, year and a half. They had, they, they weren't investing back into the company. Again, Scott had plans for, uh, to bring out, you know, get into golf balls and, you know, more, more types of apparel and things like that. I mean, really had big plans for, uh, you know, for expanding the line, but he couldn't get the investment. And finally, the money just ran out. And they had, uh, the money ran out. Perry Ellis, which also has an ownership stake in this, they're watching this thing unfold and they say, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't going well. So in the middle of July, they actually pulled the license because they weren't getting their, they weren't getting their share back either. So if you don't have the license, you can't sell anything with the Ben Hogan name. You on. can't even sell the inventory you have. Right. Right. You're right. just locked. You're done. Yeah, you're locked. So he, he, Scott tried like, he tried like hell to find new investors to help out to take over. But he said to me, as a licensee, it's really hard. It's really hard because you don't really own anything. You don't own the brand. Yeah. You don't own the brand. You're essentially renting the brand. Exactly. Exactly. So 
and I remember talking to him about it. He, he was, he had tears in his eyes. He was, it was, it was because this was his second time with the, with the Hogan brand. Cause he was with, he was with Spalding back in its, in the nineties. So he kind of touched the brand then this was important to him as it was important to Terry Kaler, as it was important to, uh, to, to, to David Huber, as it was important to Jerry Ostry. This was an important thing for them. And, it, and, yeah, he was, it was just distraught and it was July 25th, 2022, which happened to be the 25th anniversary of the death of Ben Hogan. Oh, who died July 25th, 1997. So 25 years later, the company died. And at that point we thought that was it. I mean, Scott thought that, right? Scott thought that he said, he said to me, I I hope it isn't, but it sure looks like it is the end. Uh, and he tried for several months afterwards, even in through, you know, through this, through the, uh, January of this year, he was trying to find somebody, anybody to, to resurrect the brand. And finally he said, I, it's, it's not gonna happen. I mean, it's just 25 years to the day that Ben Hogan dies, his company dies to the day, to the day, to the day. I mean, if that's not a tragedy, what is, I hated writing that story. I, I absolutely hated my life that day, writing that story. It just felt terrible. Yeah. And there's good people behind it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's good people that are affected by this, the death of Ben Hogan's golf company. Um, yeah. It's just yeah, it, amazing run. And, you know, and, and if we would have recorded this, you know, a month ago when we recorded the first two, you know, it might have been the end of the end, and this is where the podcast would end. Right, right. I mean, I, I yeah. I mean, it was like that was it. That was I, I. In my notes, you know, that was where the story ended. That was where the story ended. I get a phone call. Give us a, a give us a, an idea of a date of when you got this phone call. So, or, was it post podcast? Is the question? Yes. Okay, yes, it was post podcast. Was it spurred on from our podcast? The phone call. I wonder. I I would say so. Yes, <laughs> I would say so. Giving the series of events that led up to it, and it was it was very cryptic, and I can't say who it was from. It was very cryptic. It said, "Keep your eyes open. I think you're going to be surprised at some news coming out. I think Hogan's going to come back." And I was directed to talk to a couple of other to another person who was more directly involved. And said, you know, hey, I, this is what I hear through the through the grapevine. You know, I'd love to break this story. What the, you know, what can you tell me? And he goes, uh, let, give me a day. Give me a day. A day later, I get a phone call from a gentleman named Simon Millington of Golf Brands Limited out of Las Vegas. Now, Simon Millington's another interesting character. He um, he is the finder of of, of lost brands. He last this past uh, January, he resurrected the McGregor brand. God, that iron was gorgeous. They released. Oh, wasn't the MT86? Oh, oh, yeah, so gorgeous. I got to say, oh, oh, and they, they play very nicely. Yeah. He bought Ram, uh, Teardrop, and Zebra. I hear the hammer more. driver still out there if he's buying, he's if he's in there. a buying mood. <laughs> I don't think he's go there. But he's doing, you know, res- he, he bought these brands and is resurrecting them. He had uh, actually had Osti Rawlinson design the uh, the MT86 irons in, when Osti was between Callaway and, and Akushnet and Titleist. Um, and he's, hi- he's hiring other, you know, uh, independent, uh, well-known uh, designers to design the, the, you know, the new products, but got really nice Ram irons that are like four nine, you know, 400 bucks for a set. 
and they play they play very very nicely. Redesigned the zebra putters, uh, the classic zebras, but the McGregor again is back, and Teardrop will be coming out uh, later this year. But he wound up entering in an agreement with Perry Ellis to be a licensee yet again for Hogan. But he's got the infrastructure to make this work. I think he's got the infrastructure to make it work. And and he's and he's got a track record now mm-hmm. of doing this with the McGregor. Yep. I mean, I, another iconic brand. Right, right. People our age, you know, or, or my age anyway, are, are lovers of old brands. It means something to us in terms of, you know, you talk to, you know, anybody under the age of, of 45, it probably means nothing to them. Um, so there's that challenge to become pertinent to a new generation of golfers but you do that by you got to be you got to honor the old brands you got to come out with good equipment and have a have a good marketing message and, a, and come in at a good price point and you can make enough money to make this a worthwhile profitable venture which is really all you need to do you know as a, and for his own company he doesn't have to answer to ownership he doesn't have to answer yeah. to thank goodness know, investment bank you know investment companies or anything like that this is him him and his kids and you know he's setting up this business for him and his him and his sons yeah it 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 does strike a question had ben hogan kept the company had he not sold it which was sold 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 you know where would it be today interesting question Interesting question, because once it was sold to AMF, as we, we discussed last time, it became a pawn. Every place it's been, it was a pawn in a much larger game. I mean, the Hogan Company, part of the AMF empire, it was about this big. It was teeny-weeny. In the, in the, in, did, did it show up on the profit and loss statement annually? Probably not, you know? Um, so how much attention did it get? Just just go there, make money, just don't, you know, leave us alone. Then... Irv the liquidator takes over the whole kit and caboodle. His, his the only reason he has it is to, to is to have it to make it as profitable as possible by hook or crook. It doesn't matter how, and then sell it for as much money as he can. Cosmo World, it's a pawn in their in their giant chess match to 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 do whatever it was they were planning to do with Pebble Beach and everything else. Bill Goodwin buys it. Immediately says, "I don't know why the hell I did this." <laughs> you know, that's my, maybe my favorite part of of this entire story. Like, I why did I buy? Like, almost immediately after buying it, why did I buy this? I'm losing money. What am I doing? All right, and they, you know, then they have the, they have the, the the Panzer tank thing that we talked about last time. I mean, it's a pawn there as well. Spalding has great intentions. They don't have the capital to, to, to see it through. I mean, they really wanted to make this a mega brand. And right up until about a month before, they were they had these huge plans. Um, then they went bankrupt. Callaway buys it. It's a pawn in their game. It helps them get into the forged business. That's really Callaway forgings kind of, you know, can be traced back to Hogan. And then, you know, it's a pawn in, you know, Perry Ellis has it. Terry Kaler, great intentions, great product just built up a facade that couldn't be supported and then then Xworks Capital it's it's one of their one of their holdings as well. Yeah, you have to believe just by the track record of Ben Hogan Golf that it's a viable business. There's nothing in their track record that says it's not. I mean, they've right. always found a way to make money. They're you know never were on pace or nor ever would be a Callaway Titleist, etc. It's like a Mizuno, it's a Mira, it's a you know, it's a niche brand that has a pretty cult following. Right. And that's why I think that had it not been a pawn 
in many acquisitions that we'd be in a pretty good place. I think it'd be a solid brand that would still be doing well today. And hopefully that's where it can go from here. Right. And the golf business has changed so much, you know, and the golf equipment business has changed so much. I mean, Callaway is a, is a $4 billion behemoth. A cushion, it's a two and a half to $3 billion behemoth. Um, TaylorMade's going to is well over a billion. We just don't know because it's privately held. Ping, we don't know. It's got to be that that size as well. And Cobra is part of uh, is part of the Puma enterprise. And then you've got well established global brands like like Mizuno, PXG, Strixon, Cleveland. They're you know they that group kind of runs the business. You look at a company like Wilson. They're still on the you know they they're not even remotely close to where they used to be. Still putting out really good product, but they're not remotely close to where they used to be. Um, Companies like Hogan are just, they're just fighting for attention and they, they don't need to sell a lot of equipment. You know, they don't need to buy market share. They don't need to increase market share. They just have to sell a little bit more every year to satisfy, you know, to satisfy the investment that Simon's making in, the, in, the, in that and, and give a decent return to Perry Ellis. I mean, that's. So how do you think? Ben Hogan Golf Company. How does it continue? Is it is it a direct to you know the seller? Is that how they went down the McGregor path? Direct to consumer. Direct. Sorry, direct, direct to consumer. Direct to consumer. It's 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 like sub seventy has made tremendous strides in in establishing a direct to consumer brand. So direct to consumer is a growing element of the golf equipment business. Uh, you've got companies like Haywood out of, uh, I think they're out of British Columbia or Seattle and Pacific Northwest. You've got Kaylee, you've got Tacomo. Um, these are all direct to consumer brands. And that's what Simon is, Simon Millington is doing with, uh, with McGregor and Ram and Teardrop and, uh, when, when it does come out eventually and, uh, and, and Ram the, and, and, and Zebra rather they're direct to consumer. So you just go on the, you go on their website, you pick out what you want and you buy it. And you can customize if you know if as a, as an accomplished golfer if you know your specs, all right. You can buy these products made to your specs, all right. If they're they're all going to you know some of them have demo programs kind of like Hogan d- did slash does some of them don't uh, or they're developing them. But you know you can you can order them to your specs. It's not just an off the shelf stuff. But the but the value proposition is the pricing is going to be very very good on these. Yeah, and I think the initial question, maybe I'm mistaken, when the Ben Hogan Golf Company went direct to consumer, was, am I getting something less for the money? Right. That's always the question. I mean, right? I, I, I there's a story. It's one of my favorite stories. I don't even know if it's true, so don't sue me, Pabst Blue Ribbon. But <laughs> there's a story that I heard, and I hope it's true uh, because I just think it's fascinating. But Back in the 70s, and maybe I've told this story on the podcast before, but Pabst Blue Ribbon was a premium brand, right? They were a premium brand. I mean, like, it was as big as anybody else. And they were acquired, and again, someone can fact check this story later, but um, the new ownership thought, we'll sell more if we reduce the price. Because we know that people like our beer, so if we reduce the price, we'll sell even more beer. And the initial feedback was they must have changed the recipe and now it's a cheaper beer. And then Pabst Blue Ribbon went from, at one point it was a premium beer, to now it's looked at as, you know, a cheap beer, a cost-effective yeah. beer. And it yeah. lost, you know, the status of of the glamour. So there is that there is a risk 
if if there oh, isn't yeah. enough education with the public that you know, hey, these are you know made in Taiwan, they're knockoffs of something. You got to get past that piece to take that further step and say, no, 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 no. We're saving you money, but we're selling directly to you. It's not going through the middle person. It's not getting marked up. This is what we're making it for for sale for a retailer. We're extending that value to you. Right. And sometimes it's hard to get over that, and sometimes it's not. It looked like Ben Hogan was on the cusp of, you know, getting over that hill. Yeah. Again, to to a degree, because I think you're absolutely right. There is a mindset among just consumers in general. Forget about golfers. If something costs more, it must be of better quality or better performance. It does not compute in your brain that something that's that's that much less expensive can be as good, if not better. That just simply doesn't compute no matter what you're talking about. A similar story I heard that a, a sales trainer that I that I that I used to know, he would tell a story about this guy that had a farm stand. And he had two barrels of tomatoes or two you know, baskets of tomatoes. He had tomatoes on the bottom barrel, b- bottom basket that we would sell for 25 cents each and tomatoes on the top ba- basket that he would sell for 50 cents each. Well, the 50 cent tomatoes sold out like, like hotcakes. So he ran out of them. So what did he do? He took the 25 cent tomatoes, put them in the 50 cent basket and they sold. Unbelievable. Nobody right? wanted the 25 cent tomatoes. They were tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, like I, I get there's probably people listening to the show and they're just going, nah, that wouldn't be me. But if I'm saying, listen, I've got two wedges. One's worth $50 and the other one's worth 100. Which one's better? Right. You, I mean, it's just human nature. You, you're yeah. automatically going to think, well, obviously the $100 one. I mean- Look over at my stupid bag in the corner. I'm sure I, you know, fall privy to this many times. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's 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 the 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 challenge that direct to consumer companies face. And what they try to do is make up for it in customer service by ser- by 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 making sure you're happy. They'll have get performance guarantees. You're not happy with this thing? We'll make it right. We'll do everything we can to make sure you get the equipment that you want. And you know, some you know, companies like Sub Seventy are very, very good at it. Uh, uh, Simon Millington's companies are very good at this. At making what they to make up for that perception, because perception is reality. They will they will go out of their way to offer as much customer service as possible. Cust- the kind of customer service you won't get when you buy, you know, when you buy from a big name because you can't. But golfers are funny people. Here's the other thing I've learned over the years. Golfers are very funny people. I say crazy people, but you say funny. Sure. Crazy, funny, same thing. <laughs> Golfers will moan and wail and gnash their teeth over a $600 driver. Drivers, that's ridiculous. This, these OEMs are getting out of control. They're charging way too much money. Price of, price of golf equipment is getting ridiculous. The existence of that $600 driver does not mean a $300 driver has to be taken off the market. It's still there. But they don't. golfers don't want a, a $300 driver. They want a $600 driver for $300. So you're right. You're not wrong. Huh? Oh, yeah, all the time. Guys say, well, I'll just, I'll just wait till the end of the year when they discount the TaylorMade or the Callaway and I'll buy that. Or I'll it's buy a expensive. used version, right? Exactly. You'll hear that yeah. too. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So I want this to be successful. I want this to be the rise and with, without a demise on the mm-hmm. end of the story. What do we know about when we might start seeing equipment being produced and sold do we know anything about that from what uh from what uh, i've been able to learn um all the old the inventory that was labeled ben hogan 
that belonged to Perry Ellis. It's a, it's found its way to Simon. He has uh, he has the old inventory. His process now is getting the website up and running and making it you know a, a, a commercially viable program so he can start he can start selling from you know the existing inventory and then the plan is obviously to develop new stuff uh, as time goes on and um, you know and his his track record but again with with you know RAM which was an their open model and he's very upfront about it. this is an open model iron uh, basically you and I could go into business tomorrow and sell the same thing with our name on it um, but it's an open model. It's a very good iron. Uh, the 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 McGregor MT86. That was his. That's a that's a proprietary design. And he'll have you know with the Hogan brand, he's going to have proprietary design. That's you know he he is he's very cognizant of this has to be done right. You know because if you know, golfers are smart, if we half ass it, they'll know. And you know we'll we'll we won't do the brand proud. And for him, it is actually I I I I, I you know you talk to someone, you you get the level of sincerity that they have. He really believes in re- being respectful of the old brands and bringing them back to 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 a level of prominence that they deserve. Again, not going to be on the not going to be on the scale of the big five. Any you know they're, no. they're fighting. For, they're, they're you don't need to be. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to be. Yeah, but yeah. If you, you know, basically, if you if you put a set of Hogan's in your bag, you'd be very proud of it. That's that's his goal. I don't know. I love the way this story ended. Yeah. Huh? I got to tell you, I I honestly believe this about the the if you're a golfer with a soul, I don't care how old you are, the Hogan Company matters. It does. You know, I, I thought about this when I went I went to go visit uh, down in Fort Worth, and I got to shake hands with Steve Dreyer. Steve Dreyer came back to work for the new Hogan uh, in Fort Worth when they when they reopened under Terry Kaler and then with Scott White to be to run manufacturing because he was the manufacturing guy back in 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 the 80s and 90s in Fort Worth. And um, I just got to shake his hand and I'm thinking to myself, I'm shaking the hand of a man who shook the hand of Ben Hogan. And I don't know why that just meant something to me. You know, but then I thought about it. Well, Ben Hogan. I'm sure at some point in his life shook hands with Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones shook hands with with Francis we met. We know that. Francis we met, there's pictures of him shaking hands with Harry Varden and Ted Ray. And Ted Ray at, and Harry Varden at some point must have shook hands with old Tom Morris. Yeah. It's a line. I know, that's a right? No. There's a separation, but that, that matters. I don't know. I don't you know, it I mean, you can be very cynical and say, who cares? You know, okay, I'm a bit, I guess I'm a bit of a romantic about it all, but that matters. It's, that's the history of the game we love. These are tools we use to play the game, right? That, that, that's really all they are. Yeah. It's always connected to history. And and, I mean, even to a simplified version of that, you know, the ideas, the ideals, the mysticism, the magic, the mystery behind Ben Hogan himself Mm-hmm. Keeping just a piece of that alive yeah. in an equipment brand is good for golf. It makes it a club that you love as opposed to a, a hammer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. You know, you know it's it, you know, it's funny because in a way you could argue the Ben Hogan brand still exists at Callaway. Yes. Apex. Yes. Right? Yes. Apex. Oh. Boy, you'll get Hogan East is really upset about about the fact that the Callaway has the Apex. They kept the brand a- Apex brand, right? Right, and and uh, give them credit for give them all the credit in the world. That's a heck of a good golf club. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the forged lineage, you know. 
uh, Nike had a lot of the old the old Hogan guys in Fort Worth working for them uh, at the oven. You know, Mike Taylor was there. And uh, that's another story we have to tell. Oh, the Nike story. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I mean, to me, it looked like they were turned for success. I mean, their last set of irons that came out were fantastic irons. Mm-hmm. They had, all, you know, they were doing well in the driver. And then another one that just kind of, probably not seemingly, but seemingly disappeared overnight. Yeah. All the money in the world couldn't get them, couldn't get a market share. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate the time. Well, thank you. This was, this was really a pleasure. And uh, I, I lo- again, love telling this story. And uh, like I said, if you're a golfer with a soul, this matters. The rise and demise and rise of the Ben Hogan Golf Company. And demise and rise and demise and rise. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> That is so true. No, thank you so much. What an unbelievable story, a three-part episode. Uh, but it's the first episode I think we've had of the rise and demise that may have a happy ending. So, yeah, you know, I'm glad we postponed this last one because it, we might not have heard anything different. Right, right. I mean, if we'd done this a month ago, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have had this happen. I'd have had like to end. think that our podcast got Simon to like acquire this and bring it back. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to tell my grandchildren that. It's really I did this show, it's no big deal. Back in 2023, it saved a brand. I don't want to brag. It's Ben Hogan Golf Company. There you go. Yeah. I think we'll, you'd let us we'll tell people let that. us think that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, John. Thank you. Our story today ends with a new beginning. And I want to leave a special note to the folks who plan on extending this story that Ben Hogan started in 1954. Thank you for picking up the torch and keeping golf history alive. I personally want to wish you the greatest success and may your faith in this brand be richly rewarded. Until next time, yours in golf history, this is Connor T. Lewis. <laughs>